community content from Concentrate. You're up and Adam with Adam Montiel. Hump Day. Here we go. Thanks for being up in Adam. My name is Adam Montiel. Today, part two of our conversation with Chris Lambert of the Your Own Backyard podcast. Today, we're going to talk not only about a little bit of the Chris and Smart case, where he was, how he reacted when he found out Paul Flores got his throat slit in prison. That was big news a few months back. But also, where does Chris stand on some of these other big cases that have made national news? Casey Anthony, he brings up Scott Peterson, some of these other ones, even Jean Benet Ramsey, we end up getting into. Really interesting conversation. And for someone as bright and as smart as he is, I really enjoyed listening to kind of picking apart where he comes off on these cases as well. So we can get right into that in our lo-fi headlines. Let's thank our friends at Tin City Distillery, located in one of the hottest tasting locations, Tin City. Tin City Distillery is open for tasting of their spirits and just as a cocktail bar. You can go get a cocktail seven days a week. You can take the tours of the distillery on the weekend. Their spirits are of the highest class and caliber. Their brandy, it's made from some of the best vineyards in Paso, bar none. Their canned cocktails are elevated, refreshing, available at your grocery store in four packs. Check them out. Learn more at tincitydistillery.com and follow them on Insta at tincitydistillery. Up and Adams, lo-fi headlines. Well, a near 20-year-old park meant to honor San Luis Obispo's Chinese culture is in the process of getting an upgrade. In 05, a retired Cal Poly architecture professor, Alice Lowe, she designed the park on an empty city lot on the corner of Santa Rosa and Marsh. She was encouraged to shed light on the Chinese culture history on the Central Coast after a visit to China. Lowe used some cultural artifacts she found on her trip to design Chang Park. This project will restore, replace, and repair some parts of the park. That includes its pond, which had some maintenance costs in the past. They'll also update the landscaping, some irrigation, solar lighting, and even adding some ADA accessible items like handrails on the park's gazebo. Even during the upgrade, Lowe has helped guide the city on how they're doing it. According to the Park and Recs Department, even during the upgrade, Lowe has helped the city on how to upgrade the park. According to Parks and Rec, it was important to renovate and honor San Luis Obispo's history with Chinese culture that dates back to the mid-1800s. The project started late last year, and if all goes well, could be done by March. And speaking of the Chinese culture and its influence on San Luis Obispo, Saturday, February 10th begins Lunar New Year, and I understand the city is doing a big celebration and activation. You can already see outside Al Louis store in Chinatown looks absolutely beautiful. And uh, in China, the Lunar New Year celebration goes from the first new moon to the next full moon, which will be from February 10th to February 24th. All right, here's a question for you. Would you prefer a job you love or a high-paying job? That's a new survey that asked Americans. 66%, or about two in three, say they'd pass on the extra money just to have a job that they enjoyed. Younger adults are more split. 52% of workers under 35 say they'd pick the job that they love over the one that they hate with the higher salary. There's a similar breakdown when it comes to work-life balance. 63% of Americans would choose a job that fit better in their life over a job that paid more, that required more of their time, energy, and mental bandwidth on any given day. And finally, 72% of Americans say they define success based on happiness, content, and fulfillment 
over wealth, status, and achievement. All right, can this hack really fix a stretched out neckline on a t-shirt? It's going super viral. Just putting a rubber band around the top, dip the neckline in boiling water for a minute, and then let it air dry. Listen. This is how you fix a stretched out neckline. So firstly, you want to rubber band your tea just like this. Next, you want to boil a pot of water. Wait till the water is boiled. He's just dipping it right in there. Then neck in for 30 seconds to a minute, and then letting it rest. I guess it like As super you can shrinks. See, the neck's a lot tighter. He puts the t-shirt on. More tips. And it looks like it's totally fixed. And there's been people who have done this, many sources online, I mean, on Reddit, checking it out. They're saying this works. Now, some folks are saying this could melt depending on the material, synthetics. If it is cotton or organic, it definitely works. Obviously, you want to be very careful in holding your shirt in scalding, boiling water. Make sure it's completely cooled down when you try it on. Just let it air dry. I'm definitely going to try this. I have a few shirts where that neckline's a little bit, I don't know, too flowy. See if this can tighten it up. All right, we're going to get into our conversation with Chris Lambert. McClintock's, thank you so much for being the place to be since 1973. 50 years. Legendary heritage status, the steakhouse, the saloon, and more. Of course, Shell Beach, AG, Slowtown. The products, I mean, they're F. McClintock's Recipe 15. This is their collab with Maker's Mark. Check out McClintock's.com. Happy hour every day from four to six. And thank you so much, McClintock's, for being up and at them. Up and at them's lo-fi headlines. All right, lots of great feedback. Day one of our conversation with Chris Lambert. Today, we talk a little bit about the Chris and Smart case, getting right into the moment he found out that Paul Flores had his throat slit in prison. That was big news. And then the conversation gets into a lot of these other nationally recognized cases. Check it out. Back with Chris Lambert. He's up and at him. Thank you, my man, for being here again. No problem. So we, you got it. If you didn't listen to yesterday's uh, show, we talked about the, the new news, which was a complaint leveled by uh, the Smart family to Cal Poly, suing them for a bunch of things, including wrongful death. Right. This investigation was just botched from the very beginning, and Cal Poly is a major, major reason for that and the how it was handled. And with President Jeffrey Armstrong kind of recently saying, yeah, mistakes were made, uh, things could have should have been done differently, it might have kind of set this tone for kind of accepting some liability, at least in the public, which I think might have spurred this. I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, again, we're not, I'm not speaking, you're not speaking for the smart family and I don't have them here, but I want to ask you what, where were you when you found out when Paul got his throat slit in prison? Yeah. That was a huge story. That must've been like, what? And did you think he was, we were all kind of thinking like, oh, this might be it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was sitting at home on my couch and I got a message from somebody who was very close to the situation who said, I just wanted to let you know that this had happened. And my initial thought is there's no way, there's no way that happened. And I get a lot of messages sometimes where it's like, Hey, Paul just died. You know, just out of the blue, somebody will message me something like that. Hey, I just heard from a friend who works at the prison that Paul's dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then it always turns out to be, um, Not true. yeah, just facetious information that somehow came from, some rumor or something. So I filed that under, there's no way that happened. And then maybe 10 minutes later, I got a message from a completely different person saying, Hey, I don't know if you heard or not, but Paul just got his throat slit. And I thought, okay, there might be something to this. here. And so I started preparing a post. Like, let me just, if this did happen, let me just get out in front of it, but I'm not going to do anything until I can confirm this happened. And so, um, you know, I, I won't call anybody out because they were they came to me anonymously, but 
I, I heard from probably two dozen people close to that situation reached out to me throughout the day, giving me updates from, you know, the prison itself, medical assistance team, the hospital he was flown to. Like I heard from a lot of people, um, different situations. And I was, I was preparing for the worst. I thought Paul might not survive this. And, and I do want to post and just say, you know, Paul Flores has been killed. If that's what happened. Would that have been the worst? Um, You know, I don't think. Is it weird to ask that? I feel bad asking that, but then I don't. It, it, it's strange. I don't want Paul Flores to die. And the Smart family didn't want Paul Flores to die. I mean, I spoke to them as it was ongoing. And it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We were kind of sick to our stomachs. Like, Paul Flores has information about where Kristen is. Right. And there's a lot of people who think, well, maybe his parents didn't tell him where they... But Paul Flores, you know, I don't think any of them want Paul Flores to not be alive. We'll anymore. go back and say, want- well, Paul, Paul Flores' parents might not have told Paul what? Where the body was relocated to. So the, oh, the theory being like plausible that if, deniability. if the body was relocated without Paul's help, he might not even know where she is today, oh. which is possibly true. Yeah. But that's not what it comes down to. It's just like, what good is going to come from the fact that Paul is no longer alive? That's not, you know, they didn't, they weren't pushing for him to get the death penalty. They just want him to tell where Kristen is or just so admit weird. what happened, right? That these people, they don't seem, the Flores family, they don't seem very sharp. You know, they don't seem like very smart people, you know, from, from Paul to uh, the dad. How do they manage to get away with this? How do they relocate a body? Like, I, I can't even imagine, you know, a savvy smart person being able to do that and get away with it, much less, you know, someone like them. I don't get it. Right. It's, I don't think it's about being smart. It's about being silent. It's about refusing to speak. And, you know, a bit, another big part of it is people have asked, why didn't the police keep surveillance on their houses at all times? So if they did relocate the body, but from a judicial standpoint, what it takes to get 24 hour surveillance on somebody's house, just based on suspicion, especially this many years after the initial incident, it's just, I, I don't think people know what has to go into that behind the scenes. It seems logical that that should have been done, but then you come to find out, it's like you need a number of judges to sign off on this. Then you have to have people who are actually keeping the surveillance. You have to have them hidden in a way that the Flores family doesn't see. Even just getting, you know, let's say they were to install a video camera on one of the poles outside of Ruben's house. Ruben comes flying out of his house every time someone drives up the hill. Right. So it's not easy to pull that kind of thing off. But... Regardless of that, I think people suspect that Kristen's body was relocated without Paul's assistance, and so they don't think he necessarily knows where she is anymore. But from just a humanitarian standpoint, I and the Smart family and everybody I talked to close to the situation was hoping that Paul would not die, that that was not going to be the outcome of this. I, I was prepared if that happened to just put out a social media post to address it. And I knew right off the Chuck, bat. Could you I'm imagine the comments to. on that? Wow. Yeah. And, and even when I did initially post, okay, you know, <clears throat> Paul has been taken to the hospital. He's in fair condition now. Things have changed and it doesn't look like he's going to die. I didn't anticipate how like gleeful it would make the public, especially the people who have followed my podcast all this time. I didn't anticipate that the overwhelming sentiment would be like, oh, it's too bad that he didn't suffer and die right there. And the number of people commenting, I want to donate to the person who did this. Like, I want to give money to his commissary. I was just going to ask that and, next. You know, I don't, I don't want to get into the the perpetrator, if you don't mind. I, I'd, I'd prefer not to share information about who he is. It, other news organizations have already done that. His name's out there and all that. But I, I did some research into him, and I spoke to some people who knew him. And, and this is not a 
good person. He didn't do this for the right reasons. This is a, my understanding, a convicted child rapist who also murdered his girlfriend, who's been serving two back-to-back life sentences without the possibility for parole. He's in a position where he has nothing to lose. They're just going to add time to this infinite number of time that he's already serving. He has nothing to lose in this situation, and I think he thought it would make him important or famous, and, and was banking on people like that, who would just be so happy that Paul Flores had been taken out that they would send him money and high five him and put him on TV shows. And so I eventually shut off comments on my post because I thought, I understand how you feel, but maybe just go post it on your own. Just go share this and say, I'm so happy about this, but don't like leave a depository of comments on my post about how happy you are, because I don't think this is a good situation from anybody's standpoint. Yeah. I think people appreciate that about you. But yeah, what a story, huh? That was that was something. And did you, when you first talked to the smarts after that happened, what was that conversation like? Um, mournful, sort of sad, and we didn't see this coming. And I hope this doesn't end poorly. You yeah. Know? Um, it just, was like the day one, right? Day one that he went into Gen Pop. Yeah, exactly. And this is his first hour in the yard or something, and this person I think had made like an improvised weapon out of some normal object and. From my understanding from the people who were there who witnessed it, um, slit his throat a number of times from basically from his trachea back around one side of his neck to to the back of his neck and sort of left a big open gaping wound and slashed three to five times trying to kill him did not sever any important arteries or anything that would have uh, killed him on the spot. He lost a lot of blood. It was a very serious situation. It was not a minor scratch. And and I saw the way that his attorney portrayed it, you know, uh, without calling me out directly, said his throat was not slit. It was slashed or cut, which is like, you're really getting into semantics there. And I'm reporting directly what the people who saw it described it as. I would say, you know, cutting an open wound into somebody's neck is slit their throat and right. look we're, we're talking about prison people too like right. they, he was going to going to slit his throat like the intention what, was to kill Paul. of course it, it, absolutely the intention was to kill him and that failed and um he survived he'll probably have a scar for the rest of his life i would imagine wow and um but yeah i i was not rooting for him to die i was not sitting in that hoping that he would die and take any information to his grave because to you know let's go back to the moment that susan flores was recorded in a phone call telling paul you're the only one who can tell me what happened regardless of where Kristen's body ended up paul is the only person alive who knows what happened to Kristen in his dorm room that night and those are details that i think her family would like to know as as upsetting as it would be to know what were their daughter's final minutes like what how did this happen you think you know? he ever gives it up I don't think he's going to give it up until he's in a position where he feels like that's the only way out. And I think right now with the appeals and and those sorts of things in place, he's going to wait as long as possible. You know, look at Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson is, you know, 20 years ahead of Paul as far as a conviction goes, and he's never given it up. And did you see the Innocence Project? I did. Just I saw, took him on. Yeah, the Scott Los Peterson? Angeles Innocence Project, and. Um, there was a docu-series that came out a few years ago about the Scott Peterson trial, and I think it flipped a lot of people who, prior to that, didn't have any doubts now are thinking. It, it's it's really interesting the way that psychologically, the way that people respond to true crime and these sorts of things. I think it's it's too easy to convince people that something was a little amiss, therefore everything you know goes out the window. And I experienced that a little bit myself. There was a period of time where things were really quiet 
I think in 2020 when the pandemic was going on, where people started to get suspicious that because things were quiet, that there was some vast conspiracy going on behind the scenes. And I was, you know, you know, there behind the scenes watching some of the stuff happen going, nope, it's just, you know, it takes time and it's methodical and all that sort of stuff. But they started in the absence of information, they started to apply their own theories and things very quickly spiraled out of control. And I thought, it's interesting how much circumstantial evidence I've laid out up to this point that they're willing to completely throw out based on one piece of suspicious information. And so I, I, I've seen that happen firsthand, and I think that's what's happened in Scott Peterson's case from what I've read about it, and especially what, what came out during that trial. I think the vast majority of people have not really looked into all the details, and they've just heard... Have you read or, or seen anything that makes you kind of go, hmm, maybe he didn't do it? I mean, didn't he... I mean, if, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is just memory of it, but didn't he, like... He had an affair with the Fresno girl. Right. He tells her my wife's dead yes he went to mexico changed his hair like i mean like he had all i mean what what are we missing right well i think that a lot of people have been fed this you know there was this period of time where the serial podcast came out and then making a murderer came out where people were really high on this idea of injustice and that somebody had been done wrong with very little evidence or information but then you come to find out years later well they left a lot of important information out of that documentary yeah. because that's what a documentary is it's a, it's somebody's point of view my own you know my my own podcast it's like this is my point of view based on what i have here i'm not trying to mislead anybody but i'm laying out what i've discovered and here's my conclusion based on that you might come to a different conclusion but i think a lot of these docu series we're sort of riding that wave for a while of people are really into the idea of wrongful convictions, which is understandable. A wrongful conviction is a horrible thing. It's like everyone's person's nightmare. Right. But as I've said in the past, I feel like if the system, if the judicial system is working appropriately, people who murder people will be punished for it. And people who did not will be found innocent. That if it's working correctly, it's, it's a complex system though. And so there's always variances and things that can get in the way of that. Absolutely, these things should be looked into if somebody sincerely believes, I don't think this person committed this crime. Um, in the case of Scott Peterson, I just don't think that's that's true. I think there's more than enough there, and I think his behavior it, it's just the cherry on top. It's a lot of the things that he was doing. It's like, I can't imagine that you would do that if your wife was missing and you didn't know right. where she was, but then people will point to that and say, but that doesn't make him guilty. No, it doesn't, but the circumstantial evidence does and the 12 people who sat on that jury are the only people who matter when it comes to whether or not they prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt i feel the same way in paul's case you might not think there's enough evidence there but you also weren't sitting on a hard pew for five months in that courtroom listening to every word that everyone said you've only read a summary of it and you're basing your conclusions on that the 12 jurors sat through everything so they are the ultimate authority or do you find yourself engaged in a lot of these either true crime documentaries or like do you find yourself diving into these because of your investigatory prowess or what no i in fact i dove into them more before i started my own that i was i followed the serial case with adnan syed and all that and was very interested in the JonBenet Ramsey case and the O.J. Simpson trial. That's an interesting one. Things like that. Diving into those things and the breakdown of witness testimony. I've watched too many hours of trials that took place in all of those. Casey Anthony and all that. But once I did my own, it's like I don't have the appetite for it the way that I used to. Yeah. And I also just find myself getting more and more frustrated with the way that 
and like I said, how easy it is to sort of persuade the general public one way or the other, when sometimes in some of these cases, I won't say which ones, but it seems like justice was done. Yeah. And because of people's outcry, they were reversed. And now the victim's families have to deal with it. Oh, it's like, now the person that killed our family member is walking free and people are celebrating it I know. when there is evidence that they did it yeah. and the jurors found them guilty. It's a weird time. What are some of these, it's kind of some quick hits on, I'm curious on these, Casey Anthony. Yeah. We think she did it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how she got yeah. out of it. That was crazy. It's interesting. I, I've, As I have followed these, I've seen more and more how defense attorneys, what they do is really an art form, you know, and, and same with prosecutors to an extent that what they do is really an art form. It's theatrical. It's the way that they lay things out. It's the way that they make jurors understand things. And most importantly, it's the way that they make them doubt what the other side is saying. They, and a skillful attorney can prove or disprove almost anything regardless of whether it's true or not yeah and so that's the tough part is like overwhelmingly you might feel that something is so obvious and when the jurors find the opposite it's because the attorneys did a great a masterful job of painting things in another way oj obviously did it i think so i do too um jean benny ramsey what do you think happened to her um (laughs) you know i i for that case personally it's always come back to the ransom note for me the ransom note I could never get around who would have written and left that ransom note had it not been somebody on the inside. I feel like her family is hiding information. My understanding, and and I haven't followed it all that closely, but my understanding about the DNA that was found inside of her underwear um, didn't match any of the family members, so they publicly apologized to the family, and and I thought that was really strange because touch DNA can come from almost anywhere, and it doesn't prove who did it or who didn't do it, and it, it just always comes back to that ransom note for me. I would need a, a really solid explanation of how that ransom note was left on the family's notepad using the family's pen, and it closely resembles the mother's handwriting. You know, they show side by side. Right. And it's like, I don't know. Something is very fishy about that. It also doesn't fit the profile of past ransom cases. They don't usually leave a three-page written letter right. that they wrote at the scene of the crime while the family was sleeping upstairs. Yeah. That's not typical. But that doesn't prove anything, but that's just what's always swayed me is the ransom note is very unusual. Yeah. So interesting. We got Chris Lambert here. Uh, we're talking uh, everything from the Chris and Smart case to uh, what Chris has been doing since then. Uh, when we come back uh, tomorrow, I want to talk to you about, of course, uh, your music. We have a new album coming out. Um, what is next for Chris Lambert? I know there's a few different cases that you've been looking at. Would we ever expect um, you to dive in on something different? Maybe a, a follow-up. I don't know. Uh, we'll do that when you come back tomorrow. You done hang out? Absolutely. You're up in Adam with Adam Montiel. Adam Montiel. Community content from Concentrate. Available wherever you get your podcasts. For links and more, visit adammontiel.com. All right. Thanks to our friend, Chris Lambert. He will be back on tomorrow. We're going to talk about his music. We're going to actually have some fun with him tomorrow, too. Not so serious. It's going to be great. Uh, Check out Chris Lambert again from the Your Own Backyard podcast, Up and Adam, tomorrow. Also, thanks to our friends at the General Store Paso, offering local goods, hand-picked gifts, a curated cookbook selection, and all the best for your pantry and your home. The team at the General Store can help you pull together gift baskets, special thank yous, welcome bags, or whatever kind of gesture you need to show that you care. Helping people connect with dozens of local makers is their jam. Celebrating 10 years on the park downtown Paso. Daily open 11 to 6, 10 to 6 on the weekends on Instagram at General Store Paso. All right, check out adamontiel.com. You can hit the Stay Connected tab. And from there, you can give us some ideas of what you'd like to hear on the show. 
If you are a business, want to reach out about getting your word out to listeners here on Up and Adam, please let me know. And thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. It does mean a ton. And thank you for making Up and Adam the first podcast of your day. I want to say thanks to Full Cup Solutions for technical consideration. Also, Dan Curcio, Moonshiner Collective, start again, original music on the show. I'm very excited to announce, if you remember the show I hosted a long time ago, The Cork Dorks from a long time ago, going to be doing some very similar wine content, of course, under a very different name. But I've been waiting for the right time, things to just be just so some behind the scenes things going on. It was been waiting for the right time to launch that. We got our first episode coming out. It's looking like it's going to be next week. So I am super stoked to bring it to you. If you liked my work with the Cork Dorks over the years, this is going to be just that same similar approachable, relatable content that focuses on, of course, wine, but also drinks, food, beer, the whole thing, the whole thing that we do so well here in SlowCal. So get ready for the pour coming soon. I can't wait to debut that for you. It's looking like next week. Excited to. And speaking of wine content, want to let you know of a brand new episode of my podcast with Paso Wine called Where Wine Takes You. This is a top 10 wine podcast in the country, and we sit down with some national names. This is something. Elaine Chukan brown uh, Master Sommelier Chuck Furuya, um, wine writer Matt Ketman. All three of these guys, gals and guys, around a round table and just talking story. As Chuck Furuya says, it's the brand new episode of Where Wine Takes You, my podcast with Paso Wine. It is available wherever you get your podcasts, so wherever you're listening to this one, you can listen to that one. And if you love wine or into wine at all, this one is a must listen for sure. Also, I will tell you that my friends at Paso Wine have uh, rolled the curtains back on Paso Wine Fest. Saturday, May 18th, it is going to be an incredible afternoon. I can't wait. I just can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Tickets, if you're local, 99 bucks till the end of February. So get on that local's price. $99. More food, more activations this year. Over 100 wineries. Go to PasoWineFest.com. Locals in for just 99 bucks from now until February 29th. Okay, thank you so much again for connecting with us here. My name is Adam Montiel. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you for being up and Adam. Start again. Let's start again.